This is the Gambling Gauchos. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and bearing with us there. We're back for Gauchos After Dark, sponsored by our friends over at Barnett, Howard, and Williams. Law firm started by three Texas Tech grads, officed in Fort Worth, but they handle cases all across the state of Texas. They're one of the only law firms in Texas that is certified for Title IX student representation. They also handle catastrophic injury, and for listeners in the Fort Worth area, they handle criminal defense and family law matters. They hope you never need them, but they're here if you do. You can learn more about Barnett, Howard, and Williams by visiting their website, bhwlawfirm.com. Thank you to them for their support of the Gambling Gauchos. Rob, how was life, my friend? It's going well. What was better tonight, my bowling or the Iowa State offense? Well, good question. I would actually say, so the Texas Tech defense obviously bowed up when it counted, but I'm going to be really curious to see some of these um, like post-game box score predictions and advanced analytics because Iowa State moved the ball pretty well. And we've been talking about Ben don't break around here for a long time. And people thought David Gibbs forcing like one punt a game was Ben don't break. But stopping them in the red zone four times is Ben don't break. But Hunter Deckers was like pretty accurate. He threw for, I think, almost 300 yards, maybe more. I don't have the box score in front of me. And you didn't turn them over. So honestly, they were kind of fine between the 20s. It was just they didn't they couldn't punch it in when it counted. For sure. And they've been bad at that all year. Uh, but let's do the rest of the Big 12 tonight. We can talk about Texas Tech tomorrow. Uh, TCU, man, they, they just – they keep figuring it out. And as much as Baylor kind of choked that away at the end, TCU reached out, seized, grabbed, finished, was well coached at the end. And even though they ran the ball for some ungodly reason – they got the kickoff, and they practiced it on Thursdays. Sunday Dyke said six times after the game. Yeah, I have not been on the bandwagon of trying to delegitimize every single one of their wins to this point, but they got really lucky today. I mean, Baylor, Baylor pissed down their leg on that for sure, and it was stupid to run the ball on that third down. They got away with it, and like, hey, scoreboard is all that matters at the end of the day. They're 11-0. and but this was the first time all season where I thought, okay, they got away with one. I mean, yeah. You don't think it would have ended the same way either way? What do you mean? Well, it, it just – Baylor needed one first down, and they won the game. But Shapin – I mean, yes, I think I think Baylor lost the game. Um, and I know you want to do it, but you're going to save it maybe. But Dave Aranda, he's not a great coach. <laughs> um, okay, so a couple things on that. Let's start with the game and then remind me to talk about Dave Aranda. But the game itself, when Baylor had the ball with, I think, right at two minutes left, leading by two, um, TCU had, I think, all three timeouts. You do not have enough. Th- there's too much time on the clock at that point in the game for you to run it out. Like, you either need a first down or you're going to give them the ball back. And even if they have to use all three timeouts, they're going to go hurry up and they're going to have enough time to get into field goal range 
unless you stop them. So you, you either need a first down or you need a stop. There's no there was too much time on the clock to start playing that. But they run right into the teeth of the TCU defense twice, and then on third and ten, they call what they should have called on first and ten. I thought Jeff Grimes blew it. Shapin had uh, his tight end open on that third and ten. If he makes a good throw, it's game over. But they the play calling was bad. The execution was bad. The clock management was bad. And uh, they gave TCU the ball back and lost because of it. And Dave Aranda inherited an 11-win team that was playing for a Big 12 title, and he is 500 in Big 12 play through three years. Now, the highs were high. He won a Sugar Bowl. Um, he's one of the only Big 12 active Big 12 coaches that can make a claim like that. And he has a Big 12 title as well. But zooming out a little bit, three years, I don't think his three-year record um, – how do I say this? I don't think his three-year record matches the perception of Dave Aranda nationally. Is that fair? Uh, yes. If Who would you rather have for the next three years, Matt Campbell or Dave Aranda? At their respective schools or, like, if I could have either one of them at Texas Tech? Uh, whatever makes you more comfortable answering the question, Kyle. I don't know. Um... Say the West Virginia job opens up. Who would you rather hire? I think Matt Campbell would do better at West Virginia than Dave Aranda. Yeah. I think they both struggle late in games, though. Yeah, I mean, they both – I think the – I think the um, shine has worn off of both of them a little bit this season. But I think a lot of Matt Campbell's problems could be fixed by just hiring a better offensive coordinator. And Aranda is on his better offensive coordinator. Like, he fired um, Larry Fedora after year one. And they made a leap year two. But, like, he's got his staff in place. And I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know to what extent we want to ride off the COVID year because that was a horrible season for Baylor. And it was Iowa State's greatest season in school history. But if we count it the same as the other seasons, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just stuck on the fact that Dave Aranda is 500 through three years. And if they lose to Texas, which is very feasible, he'll be below 500. But he'll have this perception and, and profile about him that is like, oh, well, he's a contender for these blue blood jobs. And he's this elite coach. He's the best coach in the new Big 12. And I don't think that's reality, at least at this point. No, and if you took away the COVID year for both of them, uh, Dave Aranda looks way better and Matt Campbell looks way worse, really. Right. Okay, we got our first speaker in. Um, anybody who wants to chime in with thoughts or questions or anything else, uh, feel free to add your name to the queue. You just have to hit request to speak. We have the real, the real fake TJ Otzelberger in the house. What's up, man? Down down i'm currently playing ncaa 14 it's 66 to 10 iowa state over texas tech just trying to get that off blowing off some steam well we know that game is y'all super bowl even six years later so that's fair the turnaround yeah that was that seems to be where it all oh you know we were talking about 2020 i would say that game in ames in 2016 is probably where you could turn back to and point to the the beginning of the turnaround for sure 
Oh, yeah, it definitely is. But, you know, it's really frustrating. You know, we've lost six games by one score. I mean, I, there was, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but they, I think uh, Fox FS1 put on a graphic where it says Matt Campbell has lost 26 one-score games, now 27. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So what do you think going forward for Iowa State, you know, because y'all are not going to be bowl eligible this year. Um, I think there's obviously been a lot of noise about changes on the offensive side of the coaching staff. What do you think needs to happen? Like, what do you think their outlook is for next year? And how do you start winning some of these one-score games? Well, I mean, I'm, everything starts on offense. The defense is phenomenal. And the one thing I'm worried about the defense is they're really young guys. And, you know, with the new world of NIL, it's, you know, we lost Ishim Young last year to Ole Miss. We lost uh, uh, Craig McDonald to uh, Auburn. It's just, you know, we got a lot of young guys and they got a lot of talent. So it's just going to be hard to keep them here next year. But the offense is really bad. And, you know, not all of it is on Tom Manning, but he is – not putting us in the right position because if we catch a touchdown pass in four of those games, I mean, we're talking about probably an eight-win season. But What would you have done differently tonight, though? In the red zone, maybe you're throwing some play-action passes, but it's really just execution, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we go under center for the first time all year, and then – when we run the sneak twice, we get three yards out of it. I don't. I don't know why you just don't run that one more, one or two times because you're going to get something. Yeah, it certainly but, felt like that. I mean, it, and Deckers was getting whatever he wanted in between the twenties. It's just whatever for whatever reason inside the red zone, and I, I really do give a lot of credit to Texas Tech tonight, but Iowa State man beyond. You know, the one receiver, number eight, Xavier, I I just – do you have an electric athlete that changes the game? I I don't know. I I think Tom Manning certainly answers to some stuff this weekend, but I feel like there's bigger problems in Ames than just the offensive coordinator. It's really the offensive line. I mean, they have – other than the 2020 year, and even in the 2020 year when we won the Fiesta Bowl, the offensive line has not been great under Matt Campbell's tenure at Iowa State. They've been average to below average. And this this year it's really fallen apart. You know, all these guys have played significant snaps before this season. They played – all of them played last year. But they just – and and maybe they need a new O-line coach. I, I don't know what the problem is, but they've – regressed every game this season since the Iowa game. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how they respond as a program. Uh, Something Rob and I have kind of talked about over the last couple of years was, you know, Matt Campbell was a a hot name in the coaching carousel for several years. And going into last year, you know, AP top 10 team, all these expectations, they don't quite live up to it. Still have a solid season, though. And then this year they'll be one of two Big 12 teams that don't make it to a bowl game. Um, it's it's kind of hard to tell the the trajectory of the program. I mean, he obviously elevated it pretty quickly when he first got there and then took you all to sort of new heights in 2020. But clearly the last two years it's sort of trended down from there. And so I'm just curious to see where Iowa State goes from here, assuming that the staff is still in place, and I think they will be. 
Yeah, and I don't think anybody's calling for Matt Campbell's job at Iowa State because, quite frankly, he's one of the best things to ever happen to Iowa State football, other than Dan McCartney. But I, and then, you know, that's maybe that's a good thing. Maybe not having that distraction in the off season about if he's going to leave or not. Just I don't know, but they're they're going to have to do something this off season to and. And knowing Matt, I mean, all these guys are his buddies from Toledo, but he'll he'll make changes. He fired one of his best friends, the or he let go the strength and conditioning coach a couple of years ago. Got Dave Andrews, but he'll he'll make changes, probably not publicly, but something will probably be done this off season. Which, quite frankly, it has to be. I mean, you you don't want to start going one and eight in the Big Twelve again like you were five years ago before you got there. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be I'll be curious to see what kind of staff changes they make, and uh, definitely a team kind of on on rebound watch next year. Uh, we've got somebody else in the queue, Ray, from our friends at the uh, Lupton Beers podcast, or excuse me, the Lupton Drinking Club. We were we were the Gauchos Drinking Club for a couple of weeks there. TCU, of course, already punched their ticket to Arlington, very much in the playoff hunt. Ray, what do you got for us? Yeah, to y'all's discussion about. Dave Aranda or Matt Campbell, I'd probably take Dave Aranda over Matt Campbell. Dave's been recruiting at a higher level the last couple of years than uh, Campbell has. And then um, to y'all's discussion about TCU, you know, they should, should they, should they have lost that game? You know, great teams find a way to win. You saw Michigan and Ohio State struggle today. You know, every every team's going to have a game like this where they have to pull one out of the hat, and that was TCU today. TCU had yeah. another perfect weekend, by the way. Uh, Tennessee getting hammered opens the door wide open for uh, TCU to be in the playoff. Uh, I think Tennessee losing like that opens the door more for USC to get in the playoff than TCU. I mean, TCU, sure, you know, sure. assuming – they go in, you know, now maybe this allows TCU if they lose a game, maybe they can get in as a one loss team. I don't know. It just depends on how that loss is. I haven't seen an Oregon score in a minute, but I think, to 10. yeah, I think USC Oregon uh, is looming large with playoff implications. Yeah. Um, Pac-12 probably orders Oregon to lay down there, like in 2014 yeah. when they Big Ten ordered Wisconsin to lay down. Yeah. Barry Alvarez was on the, the very first playoff committee, and I think he had to take one for the team there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'll be curious to see. You know, I I don't think it sets a good precedent at all, but if there's a, let's say, 12-1 and Pac-12 champion USC or 13-0 and TCU or even we were talking about two loss LSU with a win over Georgia, you know, if they if they get to that point, um, leapfrogging an undefeated Power Five champion, I don't think that's a good precedent. And Texas Tech fans are mad at me for quote unquote supporting TCU earlier today, but it's not about like rooting for TCU, which obviously I'm not doing. No offense, Ray, but uh, it's more just like <laughs> the principle. Taken. Like I'd be saying the same thing if it was West Virginia at eleven and zero, or Oklahoma State at eleven and zero, or certainly Texas Tech at eleven and zero. I mean, I just think at some point they have the number one strength of record in the country, which I know I'm preaching to the choir, but like literally if the logo on their helmet was different, it would not be a debate at all. But we're sitting here kind of just like playing through all these scenarios or like before Tennessee lost, thinking of all these one loss teams that might leapfrog them. And, you know, that's 
I think that's why the auto bids are so important in the new college football playoff so that you take some of that judgment and just go in with the bigger brands away and like let teams earn their way to it. And then you can saw some at large selections, but I'll be, I'll be pretty pissed if the big 12 or you know, TCU really specifically gets screwed by being leapfrogged in that fashion. Yeah. I think uh, kind of every big 12 fan base, except for maybe Kansas state should be rooting for TCU. Cause it, I mean, it elevates the conference to get, you know, a team, into that playoff. I mean, it's just more money for the conference overall. Yeah, and to this point, you've only had one participant. You've had Oklahoma. So in this season, with all the changes happening, it would be important for somebody to cash their ticket. And the last chance for the Big 12 is going to be TCU. Nightmare Especially scenario. if uh, one of these new Big 12 teams, <laughs> like the new Big 12, yeah. one yes. of these teams can punch it. A ticket. I think it would legitimize the conference even more going forward. Oh, yeah, yeah when, sure. and you look at you look at how long it's been since the Pac-12 got somebody into the playoff, and Clemson hasn't been in a couple years. So if the new Big Twelve can hang their hat on that and say like, "Hey, you know, we've only been once, but we've been more recently than anybody from the ACC, anybody from the Pac-12," I think that kind of further solidifies you as third in the pecking order in the new power five landscape and i think that would be a good thing for the conference oh for yeah, sure cincinnati last year too <laughs> oh yeah yeah i guess so i kind of forgot about them yeah honestly i forgot about that too uh back to uh, the pac-12 you know usc doesn't have exactly the easiest road going forward i mean they still they've got to beat notre dame next week and then they play uh probably oregon maybe Utah here in a couple weeks. Yeah, certainly won't be easy. And I think that's what the playoff committee is going to use to justify the leapfrog. They'll say, oh, well, look how they finished the season. They beat UCLA, then they beat Notre Dame, then they beat Oregon or Utah. Um, so I, I hope they don't use that logic, but we've seen them kind of go with the hot hand in the past. Yeah, uh, I just like don't I said, see an undefeated TCU getting left out. I mean, especially if they beat, you know, they would beat Kansas State. All likely that, you know, it's going to be Kansas State in the Big 12 final. And they'll probably be a top 15 team by then. I don't yeah. uh, exactly know, uh, you know, exactly where they'll be ranked. But that'll be another good win to hang, you know, their hat on. Yeah, let's, I mean, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, it does look like Kansas State will be your opponent. The only way it, isn't as if they lose and Texas wins. Um, what do y'all think about a rematch with Kansas State in Arlington? You know, I still feel pretty good about it. They would have a week to game plan for Will Howard. You know, Will Howard came in, runs a complete, you know, is a completely different quarterback style of play than Adrian Martinez. So you spend all week getting ready for a running quarterback, and then you've got this guy that can come in and then just light you up through the air. They would have a week to game plan for that, and I thought they did a good job during the game making in-game adjustments to adjust to that. So I would feel good about TCU's chances against Kansas State again. Ray, thank you for your thoughts. Uh, we might circle back to you in a minute, but in the meantime, we have a speaker, Cole. I think he's a K-State fan, so he might be able to speak to the other side of that potential matchup. Yeah, Um Obviously, you know, you got to take care of uh, take care of KU first. So it's kind of like 
I mean, every I mean, K State controls their own destiny, obviously. So hopefully we can beat Case, or hopefully you know K State can beat KU next week. Um, you know, lock up that spot to uh, Arlington. If you know, best case scenario, somehow Baylor beats Texas next Friday night, then it wouldn't matter as much. But uh, I like the rematch versus TCU. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but I would well. Obviously, you know, a lot can change between now and two weeks from now, but I don't know. I think it'd be I think it'd be a really good matchup. Just this I think beating a team twice in one season is probably gonna be tough. Um and I mean K State's offense under Will Howard has been completely different all season. Uh it's been quite the opposite of when Adrian Martinez was under there. But Credit to Adrian Martinez. I mean, K-State wouldn't be in the position they're in today if, without Adrian Martinez this season. He's helped us get here. It's kind of a weird spot. I mean, I think most K-State fans would agree that we would have never necessarily expected this behind Adrian Martinez. Or, I'm sorry, behind uh, Will Howard, especially coming into the season. Um, the real big concern that probably right now is K-State's safety depth um savage got injured last week versus baylor and then we had a injury today i think in the secondary another safety so just gonna have some young guys step up but a lot of cases i mean i mean like a lot of teams they they substitute on defense a bunch so hopefully we have some younger guys who can step up when or if and when necessary yeah, I'm, I might botch the pronunciation here, but you'll have a tight end. Um, ben Sinnott or Sinat kind of emerged today. Um, his numbers for the season aren't that flashy, but he had a really good game today. And so I know y'all are, I don't want to say thin at receiver, but like kind of obviously more focused on the run game offensively. Right. But I wonder if his emergence will make y'all a little bit more two-dimensional on offense. Yeah, I mean, he really came out last week. I mean, he had an okay season prior he kind of had he had a solid game against Oklahoma early in the year then was a little quiet and then last week against Baylor he really broke out he had two touchdown receptions and I think pretty close I think he might have had over 100 yards receiving last week uh really close to it if not um then yeah he had another really good game today um and I think that just kind of goes back to what Kleiman has really wanted to run on offense um since he's gotten here um, you look back at his North Dakota State days, he always had a really um, really solid tight end, tight, tight end play that with a dynamic tight end that can kind of do this and that. And since he's our, he's our primary tight end, but he's, you know, more so of an H-back. He'll line, he'll line up back in fullback position a lot and, you know, do some things. Or he'll line, out, he'll line up out and he lined out wide today as some, in a couple formations. Um, yeah, he's our primary tight end and stuff, and uh, yeah, he really just kind of him and him and uh, Will Howard have really good dynamic too. They're, yeah. they're kind of like really best friends and really have that connection too, which was help, which I think has helped Will Howard out a lot too. Obviously, gotcha. How um, how glad are y'all that you're not playing the Sunflower Showdown against the Kansas team fighting for bowl eligibility? Me personally, I'm glad they already they're already they're already bowl eligible eligible, but. Um, I mean, I still think they're going to be pretty hyped um, coming into next week, trying to knock off K-State's chances to get to the Big 12 championship game. Um, 
it's pretty big matchup for between Casey and KU. I mean, you look back, you look back, you know, how many years now where this is probably the biggest Sunflower showdown in a long time, just since KU's pretty decent this year. I mean, they're, they're a good team. They're a decent team this year. Um, but there's so much online for K-State, and it's a 7 p.m. kickoff on Fox. And just with the as much as the, as much as what's on the line is, it's probably the biggest central showdown in quite a while, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I thought. I, saw, I think I saw a stat where so the, either the first time or the second time in 80 years, both Kansas and Kansas State have at least six wins when the game is played. Yeah, I think the last, you know, besides this game, the biggest probably Sunflower Showdown, I think, was back in, like, 1995. And both K-State and KU were ranked top 10, top 15 in the country. Um, so it's been a long time since each team has been well. Like, it's it's been a while since each team has been fairly relevant in this season, for sure. I'm really glad that with Texas and OU gone, rivalries like that and – the Revivalry, which was played today, and hopefully like Farmageddon and all these other games, uh, we'll get a little bit more of the spotlight instead of just the Red River Rivalry or instead of Texas just claiming that or whining really that every school considers them their rival in Super Bowl because like there's a lot of history between some of these remaining Big 12 schools and, you know, good regional rivalries and matchups and so uh, it's cool to see Kansas versus Kansas State, like you're saying, be on primetime on Fox, and hopefully it draws a good number um, TV ratings-wise. But I think Kansas is a little bit lucky that Spencer Sanders got hurt because Rob and I both thought they had a very real chance to go 0-7 after starting 5-0. and And assuming Kansas State handles their business next weekend, it looks like that probably would have been the case had Oklahoma State not been dealing with those injuries. But they are bowl-eligible. Um, no matter what happens next weekend, eight out of ten Big 12 teams will be going bowling. Uh, the only two that don't have six wins can't get to six wins. So I wonder when the last time we were an eight-bid league for bowl season was. But if, uh, Iowa to me, State, if Iowa State beats TCU, they'll be bowling at five and seven. Uh, are you sure? That's what they said last week. That's what they said last week. Is there for sure not going to be enough six-win teams? I think that's what was said last week. Maybe uh, Mr. Offelberger down there was talking about it last week. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, mean, I don't with, think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen, but. I mean, with this weekend's, yeah, I mean, they're not going to win that game anyway. But with this weekend's games and next weekend's, I wonder if there's still enough six-win teams in play. But. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's possible. But e- even still, even if you quote-unquote only have eight teams, that speaks to the depth of the conference. And I'm also sick of Big 12 fans, especially non-Texas and OU fans, saying that it's a down year for the conference just because one of the two brand names isn't at the top. Like all the SP+, Plus, all the other analytics, K-forward ratings show that like your mean and median team is basically right on par with the SEC. Some of them have you a little bit ahead. Some of them have you a little bit behind. But top to bottom, this conference is just as strong, if not stronger, than all the other Power Fives. So I don't want to hear that it's a a down year for the Big 12. This is like as strong as it's ever been. It's ridiculous because neither of those teams were in the Big 12 championship game last year either. Exactly. Yeah, no, there's a very real chance that 
this season and last, you'll have four four different hateful eight teams represented in the Big Twelve Championship, and no Texas or OU. Um, so that that would also be kind of a cool streak to keep alive if it is Kansas State versus TCU this year, which it's looking like it will be. Um, so I, I I don't know. I just feel like people assume because it doesn't have OU or Texas on the front of the jersey that. Well, the Big Twelve can't be good if that's not one of the teams at the top of the conference. It's just like the numbers show that that's not the case. Yeah, that's. Uh, I thought Jacob, who's in here, made a good point on our podcast this week when it comes to Big Twelve getting not getting respected. Uh, it's about stadium size. Uh, does your team play in a big stadium? No, no respect. You know, with the top two teams playing in big stadiums and they're down, so the Big Twelve gets. No respect. I'm with you. Um, so Texas absolutely houses Kansas today. Uh, keeps their hopes alive at Arlington. They need, like I said, they need to win versus Baylor next weekend, and they need a K-State loss as well. If one of those two things doesn't happen, then they won't be playing in Arlington. Um. Jalen Daniels comes back, plays a, a decent game. Uh, I guess we'll see him the rest of the way this season. And then what was the other game? Oh, Kansas State, West Virginia. We talked about that a little bit. Um, are we leaving anybody off, Rob? Oh, Bedlam. Bedlam. What happened in uh, Bedlam? Uh, Oklahoma happened. And I, I think, you know, Kansas was obviously looking forward to the Sunflower Showdown. Uh, and Texas, that was Texas' Super Bowl tonight to beat Kansas. By the way, I told Revenge you tour. all. Yeah, I told you all this week that Kansas was five and zero against the spread in the last five against Texas. They won last year. Texas was due today. Texas was always going to cover. And you all were Here like, we go. "Oh, plus nine is so disrespectful." It wasn't. It never was. Kansas beat a, a bad Duke team. They were bad all non-conference. Everybody's been crowning them kings of the football world. It is what it is. They're going to be plus eight dogs to Kansas State, too. They are who we thought they were, right? And we did not let them off the hook. It was funny. But I saw some uh, opening lines for that K-State-KU game. It was like minus... Uh, anywhere between like minus eleven and a half and minus thirteen and a half K State. Oh well, yeah. It, yeah, that's pretty steep. Rob, it was hilarious when Kansas was starting this losing streak. I think they lost to Baylor, and they were like, I don't know, five and three at that point or something. And I tweeted that Don Williams was right about them all along that they were never one of the twenty-five best teams in the country, even though they made it all the way up to like nineteen, I think, in the AP poll. And Kansas fans got mad at me for tweeting that. They're like, clearly you haven't watched any of our games. I'm like, no, I have. I watch a ton of Big 12 games, and you're not one of the 25 best teams in the country. And they avoided the 0-7 finish to not even get bowl eligible. But, like, let's say they win and they're 7-5. and You're still not one of the 25 best teams in the country. But they're probably going to finish 6-6. Six and six. They never were one of the top 25 teams in the country. And I don't know why their fans couldn't accept that, even after, like, three straight losses. I uh, I'm really interested to see how the Big Twelve standings finish 
if Texas Tech wins and Texas wins and Kansas State wins and TCU wins, I think Texas Tech can still get up into a, a Texas or Alamo Bowl. So there's a lot to play for this next week, uh, even for Oklahoma, even for Texas Tech, um, even for Oklahoma State, who I think can still get to 7-5, right? Yeah, we could go to one of the Cheez-It Bowls, right? The Cheez-It Bowl, yeah. I don't think you've ever been to that one. But there's also like the Cheez-It. Um, yeah, there's two Cheez-It Bowls, yeah. Is it, They're is both it in the, Orlando. Is it the Camping World Bowl? No, that's just the Cheez-It Bowl now. I think it's the Cheez-It Bowl and the, the Citrus, the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl or something. Something that doesn't make any sense. Okay, well, either way. I once um, marched in what is the Citrus Bowl now when it was the Champs Sports Bowl. And I played on Broadway and had a run on the field with my tuba. <laughs> I thought I played the piccolo. Uh, no, that was that was not me. I played the sousaphone. I, I am really curious, and we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. We know which teams will be bowl eligible, but like everybody could finish five and four, basically behind TCU. Um, let's see. K State is six and two. Texas is five and three. So l- let's just have some fun here and say Texas loses to Baylor. They'll both be five and four in conference play. They'll both be seven and five overall. Let's say Tech beats Oklahoma. They'd be five and four, seven and five overall. Um, I don't know what, but but you get what I'm saying. There's going to be a ton of teams right there at like three, four, five, six in the Big Twelve standings. Yes. And I want to remind people, the bowls. So there's an order of invitation, but they do not pick solely based on the final standings. So if it's the third um, bowl selection and it's their turn they can invite the fourth-place team or the fifth-place team in the Big 12. So every year people are like, oh, well, we're third place, so we're going to the Alamo Bowl. No, not necessarily. You you know, you know, probably have a good shot to be invited to the Alamo Bowl, but the Alamo Bowl can invite whoever they want. So I do think if you win, there's a good chance of, I guess it would probably be what, guaranteed rate, Alamo, or the Cheez-It Bowl. I don't think you'll go back to the Liberty Bowl. Yeah, or the Texas Bowl. If you lose, I think it'll be Texas Bowl or Frisco or Armed Forces Bowl. Well, I think the guaranteed rate. I don't. If you win, I don't think you'll go to the guaranteed rate. That's the that's the lower bowl because you almost went to the guaranteed rate last year. Well, isn't that a Big Ten tie-in? Yeah, but it's a six and six team will go to the guaranteed rate. But but if if we if we're not going back to the Liberty though, I think that they'll. I think we might kind of default to that if we're not high enough to go to Alamo Bowl or, or Cheez-It Bowl. Maybe. maybe. There's also the Armed Forces Bowl uh, and then several others that are in Texas but just at larges. Yeah. I think Kansas, assuming they lose, they'll probably get the last invite. I can't imagine one of these bowls would invite Kansas over any of the teams ranked ahead of them. Um like if Texas Tech beats OU and OU is six and six and three and six in Big Twelve play, they're still a big name, and so I I worry that yeah. they would jump somebody. Um, and there are considerations. You're not prohibited from playing in the same bowl two times in a row, but it's unlikely, and they, and they like to avoid that if they can. And so that's why I say I don't think Texas Tech would go back to the Liberty, even though they'll be like right around kind of that 
bowl slot. Um, I, you know, honestly, Texas win or lose is probably a really good candidate for the Alamo Bowl just because they obviously didn't go last year. They didn't go to any bowl last year, and they know that their fans will travel well there, and they're a, a big draw. So, you know, that would kind of stink. Like, if you did finish tied with them in the Big 12 standings and you had the head-to-head, I would hope that you would get the invite to the Alamo Bowl over them, but I think that they'll probably get it. Yeah, I don't see San Antonio passing on Texas. No. With that, with them being so close. I kind of see Tech going to the Texas Bowl. You You know, Houston, it's a big alumni base. Travel well there. Yeah, I think that's pretty feasible. Uh, honestly, win or lose, I think Texas Bowl is probably pretty good odds. But anyway, we're we're ahead of ourselves. We'll, we'll have probably plenty of time to speculate on maybe next week's podcast after the final weekend's outcomes are determined. Do we have anything else around the Big Twelve that we want to get to, Rob? Rob? Not that I can think of, man. Sorry, I was, okay. uh, I was busy. Okay. Uh, we'll go a little bit more in-depth on Texas Tech-Iowa State tomorrow. I think I am going to put myself through a rewatch. Um, as ugly as that was, it was a win, so can't complain. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, I guess this is our second-to-last Gauchos After Dark, unless we do kind of a championship weekend edition or a bowl edition. But we appreciate Barnett, Howard, and Williams and their support of Gauchos After Dark. Thank you, everybody, who uh, chimed in with questions and comments. And we'll look forward to talking to you all again next weekend. Love you all. Love you all. Go Frogs. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) See you all later.